Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. How are we doing? How are we doing? Almost 30 in the house. My name is Krista. And I'm Lindsay. And we're so glad you're here. We're two BFFs just doing the damn thing. Just doing the damn thing. (laughs) And this is such a good one. I've been wanting to... We have Morgan Harper Nichols on the podcast. And this is someone I've been wanting to talk to forever. I know. I know. I, I feel like a few years ago, she was... She was at the top of our list and we've kind of been like, okay, I think we're big enough for Morgan yes. Harper. <laughs> we had to integrate that. So the lesson here, guys, yeah. is never give up on your dreams. <laughs> never be too afraid to reach mm-hmm. out to that person that you want to have on because it's always the right time. Uh, but I'm excited about this conversation today. You guys are going to love it. Yeah, you're going to love it. What I loved so much, there's so many pieces of this conversation that I think you guys will find just interesting and inspiring, but um, she was talking about how she incorporates like activities, elements of that her inner child loves into her daily life. So that looks like buying a jumbo box of crayons and having like crayons everywhere, not only for her son, but also for herself to just be able to at a moment's notice, pick a crayon up and start drawing. And, you know, we can hear that and it sounds like fun and silly, but it's actually really powerful to have the quick access to these really playful activities that do speak to and conjure our inner child. Because I, the times when I remember to do that, I'm like, oh my God, there's that part of me that I've been missing or there's that idea or there's that like, you know, thought that I've been looking for. So it's, it was really powerful. Yeah. I, the inner child thing is, was so beautiful the way she put it. Cause in this interview, she talks about how she's feels like she's always her six-year-old self. And I think that's part of why she's so successful and why she's so profound is because she is and embodies that person that we all want to be. You know, we all want to go back to that inner child and integrate that inner child or learn from that inner child. And I thought that was so beautiful. And it also too is something that we talked about in our mother wound workshop. Mm-hmm. So we did a beautiful mother wound workshop with Bethany Webster, who wrote the book, Healing the Mother Wound. I've done a podcast on this and Bethany came on the show. So we have two episodes on the mother wound. But during the workshop, she showed us her Care Bear. She has this giant like three foot long, huge pink Care Bear that she has that she like hugs and just hangs out with whenever she's sort of, what is it called? When you're not coddling, but you're comforting, Mm -hmm, I guess. This is mm -hmm. how little I talk to my inner child. (laughs) I don't even know what I do to her. This is when you're comforting your inner child, you know, kind of going back to that phase where what would you do as a six-year-old to comfort yourself? You'd hug your stuffed animal. So there's so many beautiful things that I want to incorporate back in my life that are really in honorance of the inner child, which is in honorance of us today too. Yeah. If you think like, I'm just thinking back to like, you know, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, when you're kind of just starting to go to school, you're encouraged to leave those things behind that you once associated with like comfort. So whether that is your teddy bear, you leave it at home, you know, slowly but surely as you kind of go through your years of education, there is like this um, encouragement to become more mature, more adult, more independent, less dependent on those things like maybe a stuffed animal or what what have you. And yeah, I'm actually just thinking about that in real time, how I don't get it. Well, also <laughs> with kids, they pl- the way that they play is they play like jobs. 
So the girls have a kitchen. Dude, I was a doctor and all the time. Exactly. You play jobs. So you're like, I like the little kids are like, I'm a train conductor. I'm a fireman. I'm a mm -hmm. bulldozer operator. And the girls are like, I'm in the kitchen. I'm a mom. I have a baby, which is very interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. Like how we, our kids are playing adults. Yes. In a way. And I've always thought that was so odd. Even when I just saw... I used to nanny all the time. Even when I saw them, I'm like, why are they holding a baby when they're the baby? Yes. Yes. You know, I was like, totally. I totally, but they're, they're, you know, and there's probably a psychologist or someone listening that's like, oh, they do this because of this, mm -hmm. which I can probably imagine. But I've always thought that was so interesting. I'm like, but I'm changing your diaper. Why are you changing your baby's diaper? Are they just mocking everything <laughs> that you're doing as an adult? It's so weird. I wonder if it's a way to pure guess, a way to kind of help the child mature out of that like, mm. quote, baby stage. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I often, I, I feel like- So they're like, get to work on the railroad. <laughs> they're like, change this baby's diaper. Yes, honestly. <laughs> Stop being a baby now. You have a baby to take care of. But usually, sometimes they're when- They're like, cook us dinner. There's, there's another sibling on the way. There's like, uh -huh. here's your baby. Take care of the- It's like kind of incorporating mm. this like mm -hmm. taking care of another- To be know. nice to the baby. Dude, I don't know. When my mom had her, she told me she was having Dylan, I think. I was like, are you done yet? Mm -hmm. uh, like, I was like, 100%. not done. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> done. That is funny too when the kids, when you're like, oh, you're having a kid and they're like, why? <laughs> you know, they're like, ugh, why? Um, I bet during the interview with Morgan too, we talked about nature and her mm -hmm. just like reverence for nature. And I was thinking about when I was younger, my one of my favorite memories was nature camp. I used to oh, go to camps. Same. Every year I went to all mm -hmm. the camps. I think my parents were just looking for a break. And so they sent me to space camp, nature camp, volleyball camp, horseback riding camp, sleepover camp, outdoor camp, whatever. Nature camp was my favorite. Yes. I saw a salamander and I almost lost yeah. my fucking mind. <laughs> I almost lost my mind. Those are such vivid, vivid me memories. The best. the best. Mine was the same. Yeah, it was like little creeks and yes. going through the woods Crawdads. and getting dirty, dirty and collecting, yes. collecting like little... Um, Almost like little snails that you can yes. kind of look at up close, and yeah, that was putting so fireflies in jars, fun. yeah, and watching them just you know honestly <laughs> <die>. killing them, <laughs> you know, like killing animals oh, and stuff. Oh god, yeah, that was it. It is beautiful to think about the ways in which we can like have more reverence for nature. And yeah. she also mentioned too talking about looking at um, the sky, which is something that I try and am and now trying to incorporate every day, just bringing that element of wonder. Mm -hmm. When we look at the sky, it's such a great reminder for us like, wow, this world is huge. There is so much that is happening that we are a part of, that we are in communication with. And when we always have our head down at our phone, at the ground, at our feet, at the mm -hmm. computer, it's like, this is the 3D. And that's sort of like, you know, if we're talking 3D, 5D, that's bringing us back to like yes. heaven, back to God. Yes, completely. Yeah, I just loved her her reference reverence for the simplicity too of yes. just life. Oh my gosh. Which just felt so nice to hear from someone who is so successful and I'm sure so busy, but like, really just like loving the little moments, like with her family, just sitting on the couch, having mm -hmm. dinner and whatever. She's not like, rushed. Not rushed. That's a vibe. Having it's a also full, probably the secret sauce. I know. <laughs> having a full moment with your family, just like a pizza night, not being rushed. God, that yeah. feeling. Yeah. 
I, I love that. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I, I know. I would feel, think about that too. I was like, what is this rush? Mm-hmm. Or the need to, and we actually didn't ask you this, but I'm curious, like that need to capture things on yes. your phone. Even if it's not on Instagram, it's like taking a picture. Let's take a video. Let's, and I actually don't really have, I sometimes I have the propensity to do that, but oftentimes I look back and I'm like, oh shit, I should have taken a picture or video. <laughs> but it's it's just an interesting thing that now is incorporated into our life where we're like, we have to capture this. Yes. And possibly share it, you yes. know, but. Justin says, we'll keep that for private. Yep. That's Whenever Sean. we take pictures, Sean, he's like, we'll like, keep no, that no, no. for private. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. like, oh my God. But then for our anniversary, it was our eight year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I was doing pictures. He's like, oh my God, you didn't get these approved by me. And I'm like, I'm just going to post them. And he's like, well, okay, if you're doing some, I have some that you could send. (laughs) I was like, we're not just doing hot photo of you gallery. (laughs) Like, I was like, these are very specific photos. He's like, no, I'll send you some. I'm like, save those for your birthday. (laughs) (laughs) He's like been saving them. Mm -hmm. Holy. He literally, he has like, he keeps his favorites on on his phone. I don't even know what his favorites are, but. That's so cute. Like there's one that my. Model Justin. Hilarious. There's one that my friend sent me. It's a picture of us three. It's from years ago. And he loves it. He's like, you should hang this up. Oh, you, me and him? No. No. Is it another friend? No, no, it's another friend. (laughs) He's like, you should hang this up. I'm like, dude. And then I was throwing out tons of stuff because of the move. And I threw out tons of old um, frames. They just were old. He's like, oh, that's nice. I love how you throw pictures of us away. <laughs> hey, man. I was like, yeah, you haven't bought one single photo of us. Don't tell me anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I think you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. If you don't already, go follow Morgan Harper Nichols on Instagram. Her new book is out now, so you can grab it. How far you have come. This is... Um, poetry and art and just a beautiful, yeah, reference reverence to her, her own experience. But like, if you follow her already, you know, it's so, so universal and relatable. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so all. in addition to what Lindsay and I talked about earlier in this conversation about, you know, the beauty of what we talked about, we also talked about her autism diagnosis. So she was recently diagnosed with autism and we talked about that journey and how, Um, She's almost, you know, in my eyes, made it a superpower with what she's created and what she's done. We also talked about her process and journey of learning how to receive and how hard it's been for her to just receive in life. And we talked about the creative process. So we Mm -hmm. really dug into her creative process and how she creates and shares such beautiful work online. Yeah. So excited. Thank you, Morgan, for joining us. And for those of you that are new to Almost 30, just a little biz before we get into the podcast, um, you can visit almost30.com and we have courses and programs. You can learn a little bit more about Krista and I and our journey. We also support uh, up and coming podcasters and current podcasters. So if you want to launch, grow, and monetize your podcast. We got you with Podcast Pro and we are now doing one-on-one coaching. So this is a really really something that we've been wanting to do for a couple years now and um, just felt like the right time. And we've been able to work very closely and specifically with podcasters on strategy, auditing their podcast, and just helping and supporting them meet their specific goals. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure to do our coaching calls. It's one of my favorite things. 
I honestly, I was like, I, I went like an hour and a half on the first one. I'm like, okay, I've got, I've got to get better with my boundaries. Uh, but we have four coaching call spots that open up each month. So if you're on the Podcast Pro email list, we announce those at the first of the month. So on June 1st, we will announce the next four spots. They pretty much go that same day. So make sure you're signed up to the mailing list and you can grab one of the coaching spots for that month. Make sure you follow us on Instagram, Almost 30 Podcast. We're on YouTube. So many people have been watching on YouTube lately, know, which is cute. amazing, cute, and terrifying. Um, we love to connect with you guys in any way. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you all. Enjoy this one and we'll see you on the other side. See you soon. I'm so looking forward to this. I really appreciate your time. We've, yeah, we've, we've wanted to talk to you for quite some time and have been such fans of you and your work in, in so many capacities. So this is just a, a real joy for us today. So I just want to thank you for coming. Oh, well, thank you for having me. That's so, that's so encouraging to hear. Oh, yes. <laughs> thank yes. you. It's true. And I've been, you know, thinking a lot about creators like you who I just feel your heart so deeply every time I read or see something you create and just with everything going on in the world, do you find it really hard to create during those times or does it feel just kind of natural and of service? You know, it. I feel like it's both things at the same time. I feel like the first, it's kind of like, yes, it is very hard. And I go through sometimes hours or days or weeks where I'm like, I don't even know what to say. But you know, I love that you said the word service because it the thing that kind of gets me out of that and like kind of unlocks something for me is always it's always a person. So it's either like an email that I mm-hmm. open from someone or a story that I remember. And that usually kind of says, okay, well, at least you can just say something to that person. Like, and sometimes it's to myself. Like I recognize like, oh, you don't have to write to everyone. Like maybe just say what you need to hear. So at some point <laughs> that that happens a lot for me and it kind of gets really narrow and I'll start thinking about, um, you know, one person. And sometimes it's literally myself and sometimes it's others. And then from there, that kind of gives me the courage to sort of, you know, write and share more. I love that. I think that's a great note for creatives. And I actually wonder that it's like, does making art that serves you provide enough of a service for the world? Because it's almost like when we're creating for a lot of people or we're creating for the world, we can sort of get lost and it won't resonate as much as the real art that comes from the the truth of our experience or the truth of the experience as felt through one person's eyes. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that, that's been true for you? That when you're creating, it has to be something that is resonant with you and something that you've gone through? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't... I think that that has always been the case, but I wasn't conscious of it. So I'm not, I, it's weird. I feel like I am a self-aware person, but I I don't naturally like talking about myself mm-hmm. or just really spending a lot of time thinking about, about myself. So when I started writing for other people and res- writing in response to other what other people would request for me to write, it took me a long time. I would say almost two years before I started to look back on a lot of things I had written. And I was like, wait, I was writing to myself. It was like, 
Yes, I was writing to someone else, but that's also what I needed to hear at mm-hmm. that time too, even if our stories were completely different. So mm-hmm. I think for a lot of creative people or people who like to write or share, sometimes that, and I, I've struggled with this, sometimes that can feel limiting. You know, you can feel like, well, I don't want to just write about myself. Like, who am I with my boring life? But <laughs> it's like, when you really think about it though, it's, you had a lot of experiences. Mm-hmm. You've in, in any given day, we've had so many different emotions and reactions to things. We've taken in so many things, like so much has happened in our family story, like where we've lived. And like yeah there's a lot of material there (laughs) Mm -hmm. even if you even if you've only ever lived in the same town and you only see the same five people there's still so much there so that's actually something that I have been trying to do more of is consider all that like it's like okay yeah like what does it mean to actually just look at my story in a different way you know when when I was 16, what did I need to hear? So, yeah. Yeah, I really relate. It's when we work with people that podcast on the way that they podcast, I'm always like, expand on your story. Like your story is interesting. And I give that advice because I had to tell myself that, you know, I'd rush mm-hmm. through my story. I didn't think anything about my, the way that I grew up or my family was interesting. I didn't think I was that interesting. And so giving people permission to find their own stories interesting because everyone's are so unique is is really powerful. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's so true. With any creative we talk to, I'm always so curious what their support looked like or lack of support looked like when they were younger, because I just mm-hmm. think that's such a important piece. Um, for some people, it could really like put the fire under your butt, butt to like prove them wrong, or yeah. it could be the one thing that really has sustained your creativity and your um, passion for whatever you're doing. So, what was your upbringing like? related to your creative pursuit? Mm. Yeah, I actually had very supportive and encouraging parents. My my we uh, love one to sister. See it. We <laughs> love to see it. <laughs> I had one sister and who's two years younger than me. And we both were just, I was like, yeah, okay. Like here's some instruments, here's some art, like here's some notebooks, crayons, whatever, make things, do stuff. And my mom was like, okay, I want to encourage you guys to make something new every day. And that was funny because there were times growing up where I felt like, I was like, mom, can we just... (laughs) Like, I remember one time specifically, my sister and I, we were really into the show Powerpuff Girls on Cartoon Network. Yes, Mm -hmm. of course. (laughs) And we were complaining because we were like, they need a black Powerpuff Girl. Mm -hmm. Like, where's the black Powerpuff Girl? And my mom, who knows, who knew like nothing of the show, she was like, well, you could create one. What color does she wear? What are her powers? I'm like, I don't want to create it. I just want her to exist so I can watch it. So yeah, it was, my mom was, I mean, she's still that way. She was always like trying to encourage us. Like you can do things like create it, create it. So that's still within me. Like I I feel like it is, I mean, as, as Toni Morrison famously said, like if you don't see, you know, as I'm paraphrasing what she said, but if you don't see what you want, like make it, like make the story that you want to hear. And I feel like that's a lot of, I got that at a young age. And I think that getting that at home was huge because I I would say outside of the home, I didn't get that encouragement. I think it was because even though I was an artist and I was artistic, I wasn't like, what I guess other people might look at and say, wow, you know, look at that, 
you know, four-year-old playing Beethoven. Like it wasn't <laughs> like that. So yeah, I don't, not to say that people worship, but I don't remember like people kind of um, like, it was interesting even thinking, so I was homeschooled. So I, I didn't, I wasn't around a lot of other kids throughout the day. So that most of the kids I were, was around were at church and uh, my parents were pastors and, and yeah, they just kind of looked at my sister and I like, y'all are weird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't really, I, I dealt with this, like, and I think I still deal with this sort of tension today of like, like, okay, at home, I feel so safe and free mm-hmm. to create and just dream. This is a safe space for me. And it's still that way now as an adult, but then when I go out in the world, like that's where the pressure is on. And that's where you're like, well, how do I fit? So yeah, that's a bit what it was like for me. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, the homeschool, yeah, I've been homeschooling just seems like such a beautiful like incubator for your family and for that creativity and for that freedom and to not have any outside outputs, you know, on what you're doing is so beautiful. And um, about your parents being pastors, I think that's so powerful and you to me are so like tender and so divinely connected. How has spirituality and your relationship with spirit impacted your life and your work? Yeah. So I feel like that's something that I've even kind of been putting together even more recently, even over the past few years is I didn't really realize until I grew up, graduated from college that I grew up within kind of a sector of a sector of African American Christianity, which is different than a lot of other sects of Christianity in the West and in America. And I mean, just something as simple as like I grew up like conversations about slavery and oppression weren't weren't political conversation. It was like that was something that was talked about in church. That wasn't weird. So for me, I mean, even just with everything that's going on today, like I've never separated conversations about justice and liberation for people from faith, mm-hmm. but a lot of other people do. Um, <laughs> like, oh, well, I don't want to talk about this. And I'm like, wow, that's just a different experience for me. I didn't grow up with that. And and I feel like for me, I'm I'm proud of that. Like, I'm proud of the fact that I mean, I feel like today when I'm when I'm writing poetry, it's for me, it's it's poetry, but sometimes it's a prayer. Sometimes it's a prayer of frustration or just laments. And and I always give people permission to feel whatever they feel when they receive my poems. I'm like, if this feels like a prayer to you, then great. If this just feels like a poem, then that's great too. So um yeah, I mean, and I I felt at a young age, and I still feel this way today, that that I always just felt like the most connected to God and had the most like spiritual experiences in nature. And Mm. I still feel that way today. I mean, I, I love sunsets. I can't get enough of them. I love just being outside and just staring at the sky. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm, I'm just so grateful that I, I have that because at times it can, it can be disheartening. You know, a lot of times when you see, discourse happening in the world and just with more popular voices or whatever that kind of make it seem like, oh, church is this, you know, thing that's like, okay, we can't talk about things that are political. It's like, but people are dying. Like, Mm -hmm. I I feel like we kind of have to talk about it. So yeah, just dealing with a lot of frustration around that. um, I really do. I am grateful that I 
that I do have something to go back to in my in my childhood that was a different experience. And and I feel like today I I still lean into that. So yeah, I feel like a lot of my stories end up coming back to like I'm pretty much the same person I was when I was six years old. Like, <laughs> which is why which probably is so you're sweet. so successful. <laughs> no. Honestly, because that's the whole life. It's like going back like to when you were a kid. <laughs> Most of us are I trying to walk like back. <laughs> we're trying to relate to her. I have to look at her picture every day and I'm like, come back to me. <laughs> come back to me. Um, yeah. Do you ever like hesitate before you put anything out online, on social media? especially just in the climate that we're in where like you are sharing so much from Mm -hmm. your heart. But, you know, I just think social media is such an interesting place that Mm -hmm. does kind of favor this idea of like separation Mm -hmm. and just kind of this fiery, like combative (laughs) uh, rhetoric. So I'm just curious, like, do you ever like pause and just like, should I put this out? And... Mm -hmm. Part B is just like, do you take in feedback? Do you pay attention to any of that? Like, how does that fit into like your creative process? Yes, I literally had this moment today. Perfect. <laughs> so with with all of the events that have taken place this week that we're yeah. in, I had, I just, I, I had something that I written last year and I was like, I just want to share this. It was a poem that I written and... um as I got, like, I was going back through my Instagram archives, gathering it. And as I found it, I remembered this really hurtful comment that I got in response to this poem. And the poem was essentially just like a lament for things that Black people have endured in America and my ancestors. And it was just a lament. It was just, this is what I feel mm-hmm. like. I don't have like a... a positive bow to put on it at the end. (laughs) This is just how I feel right now. And I just want to leave that here. And someone left a comment. He was like, it's this kind of stuff that holds Black people back. And it was really hurtful to Mm -hmm. me because I was like, actually, this is the opposite. This isn't holding me back. Like, I find there's freedom in me sharing this. Like the fact that I'm not holding it in and I am talking about the pain and I am talking about struggle. It's like, even beyond like this context, there's so much stigma around talking about pain and suffering and like, no, just be positive. It's like, no, like we have to have safe spaces where we can talk about, you know, these things. So obviously the public internet is not a safe space because people will say all kinds of things. And I am mindful of that. But that message was frustrating because as someone who does have like like a following, I actually received like lots of kind messages. I don't, I, I don't only have imagine. a ton. I don't have a ton of, I mean, I, they come in, but I either ignore them. I don't see them. I really don't even worry about that too much. And I don't feel like I see, get that many, which I'm grateful for. Maybe they're all gearing up at, to just come at me at one time. By don't the say that. I don't no, know. No, no, but, no, no, no. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what they, what, you know, internet people have planned. But anyway, I'm grateful to have very kind people, but that really hurt me. And when I got ready to share it today, I thought about that. And I was like, what if I get a comment like that again? So what I did, I actually edited my caption and I said, when I shared this last year, someone said this and I passionately disagree with them. And here's why I disagree, because this is actually freedom for me. This is a floor. And I just like went on and on Mm. and on about it. So I feel like for me, it's, when I do have those moments of some kind of doubt as to, I'm not sure if I can share this. 
I end up including that in the message <laughs> if I share it. Um, and there are some times where I, if I, if I share, if I have like a strong feeling about something and I'm writing it and I'm not sure if I should share it, what I'll typically do is I'll just say, maybe this, is this something I would post today or something I might post a week from now? Let me sit on this for a week and then see what, how I feel about it. So it's a little mixed. It's a little bit like, sometimes I'm like, nope, I don't care. (laughs) I'm going to share this. Like I need to say this now, but sometimes it's like, okay, this isn't urgent. Let's just sit on it for a week. And sometimes I come back to it for a week. I come back to a week later and I don't share it. Sometimes I come Mm -hmm. back and I do share it. Like I I did a piece that on um, what I've learned from ocean currents not not too long ago. And that was one that I sat on because I was like, I think this is just like a weird Morgan thing. I don't think anybody's going to care. No one, no one's scrolling through looking for ocean current content like this. I don't know why. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Even... And we need a hashtag. <laughs> I'm, I'm obsessed. And so I sat on it for a week and I was very wrong. Um, a lot of people really connected with it. So yeah, sometimes it's not even for like a, a deeply emotional thing. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. just, I don't know if people are going to connect with it. So I'll, I'll give it a week or two and you know, see what happens. Yeah. It just sounds very intuitive, which I think is, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so admirable, especially like I know art is probably pouring out of you most of the time. And so to just kind of have that like full body, yes, I think is, is important, is really important. Mm-hmm. With, the, with that comment from, from that man, do you think the frustration was geared towards the way that you are channeling your anger and frustration about being a black person in America right now is sort of creating art. It's actually transmuting this experience into what is perceived from the outside by other people as really beautiful things where you're sort of sharing your heart. What do you think the frustration was around like how you're transmuting this experience into art or what do you think the frustration was around? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Honestly, I get very protective of people who are on my page and who follow mm. me. And a lot of times, anytime I have ever deleted a comment, I can honestly say this. It's because I didn't want someone else to see it. And it brought up and it triggered something for mm-hmm. them of like a time where they were judged or so. Yeah, sometimes like I will go through because I'm like, in this context, it's this isn't helpful. So like, if someone's like, you just need to be positive, like, Mm -hmm. I'm like, that is, that is really toxic and Mm -hmm. can be very hurtful to someone. If they're in a vulnerable place, like if they lost a loved one and they're reading this comment and they're trying to figure out like, am am I okay to grieve? I don't even want them to see that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's times where Mm -hmm. I delete for that reason. Um, So I think with that comment, it was, it was seeing that I was like, if it makes me this angry, and I'm somebody who shares online and is kind of used to, okay, yeah, anything could happen, you know, when you share something. Just imagine how somebody else may feel mm-hmm. like like another, like a like a maybe a maybe a black a black woman who's or a black teenage girl who's just now starting to feel comfortable sharing her voice online. And she's afraid of guys like that who will, you know, come after her and say things. I'm like, I don't like. I don't want her to feel that way, even though it really hurts me too. So I think that was it. It was just like, wow, people are really out here saying these things Mm -hmm. like at this point in history. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really? You think this is okay? Mm -hmm. Um, 
and just not wanting other people to have to see that kind of comment. Like, yeah, I think that was it. Your page, your rules. Yeah, that's what I always say. My page, my rules. Yeah, I believe too, it's really beautiful. And I've noticed that in your work is how protective you are of other creatives' experiences and other Mm -hmm. people's creative processes and other people's way in which they experience things. And it's it's really beautiful how how that trans mm-hmm. translate to your page where you do feel safe. You do feel like mm-hmm. it's a place where you can come to feel supported or feel like yeah. um, you're going to be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do say I want to say also like there is another side of it where like I do also want people to know like you're you're allowed to challenge what I say. Mm-hmm. Like I I one time at one time I had shared uh, you are where you are meant to be. And that was all it said. And then someone commented and they were like, actually, like this doesn't resonate with me at all as someone who is a survivor of, of abuse that they were talking about. And they were like, I just, no, this doesn't resonate with me. And I actually like pinned the comment and I was like, yeah, this is very important. This is not what, you know, I was not writing to that specifically. So now every time I share anything that is in that vein, like, I make it known I am not talking about, you know, situations where you need to get out of the situation. Absolutely. You're not where you need to be in that setting. And, you know, some people may look at that and say, oh, well, you're you're not going to, you know, be able to make everyone happy, which I agree. But I'm like, well, but we can make the internet, we can't try to make the internet less of a, a stressful mm-hmm. place if we can. So um, I feel like for me, I'm like, that's a small thing I can do. Like I'm a, I'm a creative. I can creatively find another way of saying that, that, that helps that person feel welcome. Cause a lot of people like that, liked that comment and agreed. So I was like, that's a totally valid point. And, and I think about that. So, yeah, I think that there's, it can be hard. Cause I don't think that there's like, it's, it's no like black and white way of looking at it. Like every situation is going to be different and you really just have to kind of, intuitively look at it and say, hmm, is this a constructive criticism or is this just or is this just somebody who has like a lot of time to just, you know, say something critical and unnecessary. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. Like I do try to make space for that too, for sure. It's beautiful. Part of the spiritual path too is like, you know, being able to welcome that um that disagreement and actually like honoring it and uh, providing like a really beautiful safe space for that to happen because we don't see it that often. So I just think that's that's amazing. What I love also, I love so many things about your work, but I think in my everyday Instagram experience, it's usually like visual. And so I'm scrolling through and it's visual mostly, but what I love is that you're incorporating your voice and music and moving images, still images, your art, and words. And it's just this like full sensory experience. And I've often found myself just kind of getting lost on your page and um, yeah, just feeling like truly transported to um, your world. And I'm just curious, you know, how that's evolved over time. I know you were previously and still are a singer and lyricist. And I'm just, it's inspiring to me to kind of pull that quote unquote, past life into your art now. So would love to just touch on that evolution. Oh, yes. So I I toured as a musician for five uh, for about five years. And then I kind of gradually phased out of touring. Um, and one of the things that that 
really taught me um a lot of times when I was performing music, I was an opening act most of the time. So I was in settings where people were not coming to see me <laughs> necessarily. And it was like, if you were going to make a connection, it was one or two things. One, I could, with what I shared from stage, it's like, okay, I'm not going to get everybody in this room, but let me at least just share my story and share the heart behind these songs. And then whoever it does connect with, like I'm at peace with that. You know, if, if it's just 10% of people in here or 1% of person in here, that's okay. Like they didn't come to see me in the first place. So <laughs> if, if someone came and is like, Oh, I actually am interested. Like one person, you know, I was like, yeah, that's cool with me. And then the second thing was after the show, I realized that, I felt at peace with what I did. And I felt like I was successful when I got to talk to people one-on-one. Um, I, I, I can, I still make music and I can still perform. However, for me, I feel like all of that is just built up to the moments that I get to interact with people one-on-one, even if it's just for a few minutes, that's just the way that has always just given me life. Just being able to have, you know, conversations like we're having now with mm-hmm. two or three people. That is what I love. I love that so much. So what was interesting is that I, the main reason why I walked away from doing music full time was, and I used to try to tell the story more poetically, but it just, it was just financially really tough. I mean, it's just very hard to sustain a career in music for a lot of people. And I just could, I was like, I, I can't sustain this. I'm tired all the time but I know I'm giving my all, but I, there's just many times where I was just like, am I being paid my worth? Am I like, what? It's just so, it's so complicated. There's so much to that. But at the end of the day, it was, it was a struggle. And I felt really torn because, you know, I, I didn't really have any more job prospects at that time. And as I got into making art and sharing it online, I found that what I learned from being an opening act really helped me because it's actually very similar. If you're just starting out and you're sharing your story online, you have people scrolling through who are not necessarily looking for what you created a lot of times. And if they stop on it, you're not going to get everyone. But the people that do stop were meant to stop and they end up connecting. And then the second part of it, I'm like, yeah, being able to email people one-on-one, DM people one-on-one, respond to comments, those are the things that keep me doing this. Like it absolutely is. So it's just been really cool to see how that experience really informed how I now connect with people online. I see I see a lot of common threads there. So yeah. Mm. Beautiful. We listened to your music a little bit before. It was really beautiful. Oh, mm-hmm. And the kids thank album, so beautiful. the kids oh, album, thanks. a dream. I was like, oh <laughs> my God. It was the things that are happening oh. for kids right now. And as far as like our awareness of what kids need and just even having a kid album is so beautiful. Was that created like in inspiration with your son or, or what was that even like? Where did yes. that come from? Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for listening. Yes. Yeah, so I have, my son is almost two years old and 
totally unplanned. It just happened this way. My sister and I were pregnant at the same time. And <laughs> she has a little girl who's a week younger. So it is just so funny. Um, but also simultaneously great because we are able to walk through this together. So she is also a musician and she's also a producer. So she had started, we had at different points written songs that were kind of inspired by becoming a new parent. And we were like, hey, we've got enough songs to like make a little EP. So let's do something with it. So that was just something we had so much fun doing it. And it is funny though, because again, my parents just being the supportive parents that they are. So they watch our little kids during the week, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. But they use the EP to put the kids down for nap. That's what they play. And oh, that's it's sweet. However, now my son wants to listen to the song. Like when I'm putting him to sleep, and I'm like, I don't want to listen to it. It's so sick. You're like, here's the live version. Yeah, yes. honestly. Oh my gosh. It's so hard. The way I'm that like, kids I'm... love things repeated is insane. I they watch know. movies 60 like, times, songs 400. It's yes. crazy. It was it was such a weird experience because last night we were putting him to sleep and we play this. It's the song Hold Your Hand. That's the one on there, which I wrote specifically for him. And I'm glad that he enjoys listening to it. However, he didn't want to go to sleep. So he started covering up his ears when I played it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yay, you don't want to listen to me anymore. <laughs> like, maybe we could. But it was such a weird experience. I'm like, I want him to like the song. But yeah, it was <laughs> not this much. Very weird experience. <laughs> Oh my gosh. The the inner child, even speaking about your son mm. and then the inner child comment you made earlier, I think is so profound because I do feel like when we go back to that inner child and we have that inner child healing or that that integration, you know, a lot of times in shamanic experiences and spiritual experiences, you are doing soul retrievals of your inner child and sort of bringing that person back back to you. How do you nurture? Like, do you see yourself as as your six year old self? Do you do you have a relationship with her? Do you communicate with her? Do you have self care for yourself as if you were six? Or what sort of that experience like for you? Because I feel like that's what really allows you to create such incredibly prolific things. Oh, I love that, and I actually spend a lot of time with this. I, you know, it's interesting because I mean, I wouldn't have used this language back then. But I mean, I think now I kind of see it this way, but I definitely have like all of these little rituals that just keep me in this kind of childlike state. So I try to keep children's books all around the house. So even like, like they're my son's books, but I just take my favorite ones out of this collection <laughs> that he doesn't read as much. And I just keep them open and I read them and I read them often. Wow. And it's something about those children's books that that you just don't find in grown-up books. Another thing, I keep crayons around. So when I bought my son crayons, I bought him like a mega, mega pack that's way more crayons than he would ever need. And I, I use most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> I keep crayons out. I keep them around. Those are two of the main ones. But I think having things around that you enjoyed as a kid or even just as adult, just take you to that space. I think that's super important. I mean, that is, that is definitely a part of mm. my process. And, and, and I think for me, it's important because I'm the kind of person that is 
I I love to think things through. I'm very analytical and rational. That's just sort of my natural go-to. However, I have to, it takes me a second to kind of get into my body. So I need physical things. So for some people that may be different, you know, maybe if you're more of like an in your body person, you don't have that. But for me, because I don't naturally, I just kind of like, I'm just all up here. <laughs> I need like physical crayons. Like I need to be able to see like colorful children's art. So like right behind my screen here, I actually have curtains and they're like soundproof curtains that you can have for recording. And when I bought them, I almost got the black ones because I was like, I just want this room to be dark. But then I was like, you know what? At the last second, I was like, I'm just going to get bright yellow. I was like, I don't know why. <laughs> I'm just going to get bright yellow. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny. My mom was like, yes, bright yellow. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, she's amazing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's, I'm just like a toned down version of my mom. I really am. So she was like, yes, bright yellow looks awesome. Keep the bright yellow there. And my mom's house is like that. It's super colorful. She collects... Uh, vintage toys, like toys that she had when she was a kid. Like she's like looking Aww. on eBay, like finding deals. So I do think I got some of that from her, but I think it's something, there's something about like, even just like the energy of having those things around mm-hmm. that are really special. And, and it's amazing if you look around most grown up spaces, you don't see a lot of things in, that are childlike. And I've noticed that I need that more and more. So like, this past Christmas, I bought my husband some, like he's really into Star Wars and I bought him some, like I was just trying to think of stuff to get. It was kind of a last minute decision. I was like, I'm just going to buy these little figurines. Like I just bought some little <laughs> Star Wars figurines and he was so happy about them. And it's like, oh, we don't man. have like figurines like <laughs> around our house. But now I like literally put the baby Yoda on our um on our fireplace mantle and it makes me laugh it's just like it's that it is literally only there to make me laugh like it does not go with the decor of the room like it's not my son's (laughs) toy it's just funny I love thinking about a a world like that I love thinking about a world in which adults are have easily or easy access to play, mm-hmm. to things that yes. just bring them joy. Thinking about a CEO of a big company just having like 30 minutes to color mm-hmm. is like actually amazing. <laughs> oh my gosh. And yes. and would probably activate the parts of them that they're so tra- they're that they're so desperately trying to find in their work, you know? So if mm-hmm. someone's like, oh, I can't, That's I can't so get to this idea or this concept for this project. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. little do you know that like doing something like you're describing could activate that part of their brain or that part of them. It's really oh, beautiful yeah. th- to think about. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the psychology of it, but I had a therapist tell me one time that this, he was asking me like, you know, what, what things that I do that kind of calmed me down and the first things, first things I said, I was like, well, when I'm playing my guitar, when I'm playing my piano, he said, both of those things are, it's something about, he used the word bilateral. And he talked about how like you actually spreading your hands out and moving your hands, mm-hmm. that does something like in the mind to calm you down. Again, I don't know like this, all the psychological <laughs> terms that he used, but Makes that always stuck with me. And I've been noticing when, when you talked about like, a CEO sitting there with crayons. I was like, yeah, just sitting there with your hands on the table, just moving. It's it's like you don't even have to rationalize. Like there's mm-hmm. something happening internal that's that's really beautiful. So yeah. 
Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was telling Lindsay the other day, I was feeling really anxious and I don't, I don't feel anxious so much anymore, but I was feeling incredibly anxious. And I was like, it's so weird as an adult when mm-hmm. you feel anxious because you're just sitting in front of a screen and you're mm-hmm. just, your experience of your anxiety is just like typing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, it's like such a, it's the opposite of what your body wants to do when you're in that state. And we mm-hmm. even did um, a mother wound workshop. So we've been talking a lot about healing the mother wound. And part of this uh, facilitator's process is having a stuffed animal. So she has a big stuffed animal for her inner child. <laughs> so she keeps this around whenever she's like nurturing her inner child or just as the experience of like being an adult, having a stuffed animal, I honestly felt some type of way. Mm-hmm. I, I like wow. wanted one. I was like, whoa, I can feel how nurturing it is yes. to have a stuffed animal when you're little and how yeah. beautiful it would be to be an adult to just be like, oh, this is my this is my safe space. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. I actually have I actually have a blanket that my grandmother gave to me when I was two years old, a really? mini mouse blanket. I still mm. have it. I still sleep with it. Oh my God, so that's amazing. I, I don't know how. I mean, I have moved so many places. It's like disintegrating in your bed. I know, but you're yeah, still it is, and it's somehow, it's like in perfect shape. The really? only thing missing on it is the tag has been washed off because I tried to find what company it was because I was like, mm. I want another one. But um, yeah, it's like, I don't know if you've seen like Sisterhood of Traveling Pants. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's like my blanket's like that. Some kind of way miraculously still intact. I love that. That's incredible. I would love to pivot a little bit. We were just in awe and touched by your post about your autism diagnosis. And yeah, I would just love to talk about that because to be candid, like I haven't necessarily heard about later in life diagnoses. And I'm curious, you know, you, you spoke to the wide spectrum of autism, which I think is important to talk about and how everyone's experience is different. So I would love to talk about that diagnosis and just how how that affected you emotionally and just affected your work in general. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was younger, my parents did think that it could be possible that I was on the autism spectrum. And for those who aren't familiar, autism is it's developmental, neurological, and yeah, as you just said so wonderfully, yes, it's the word spectrum is important because it looks very different person to person. And one of the biggest challenges is because of that, it, it a lot of the research and studies are were done on boys. So a lot of girls, especially undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, because there just wasn't a lot of research and studying. So I was one of I was one of those girls who just got told, yeah, there's nothing wrong with you. Like maybe she's just a little, you know, kind of a quirky kid and she'll just grow out of it or whatever. And a lot of what I dealt with was just social and communication issues, sensory issues. And um, yeah, I just felt like I had to put a lot of work into just like functioning, just mm-hmm. making friends, having conversations with friends, mm-hmm. like picking up on social cues, like dealing with bright lights. Like it just felt like a lot of work. And I didn't really know how to communicate that to anyone. So I just sort of assumed that everybody was kind of consciously thinking about all these little things throughout the day. And I was under the impression that maybe someday I'll just grow out of this. You know, I'll just get used to the fact that music always feels loud to me and that that I don't like so many different textures of clothing. Like I remember getting my 
makeup done to go to prom, which was like homeschool prom. It was like all the homeschoolers from the area coming together. And I remember that was like my first time having like a full face of makeup on. And I was just like, I feel like someone's putting me like in like a mummy suit and I'm about to like go in a casket. I'm like, why does this feel? I was like, how do you breathe with this? And I didn't know that like, okay, yeah, I deal with so many like things mm. have to do with texture and sensory and things on my skin. So it was just so much more amplified for me. But I just assumed, I was like, well, I guess it's just how everyone feels and they just put up with it. So I... I mean, I could go on and on how many stories I have like that throughout my life. I just assumed that it's tough and it's tough for everybody. And I just have to be the one to figure it out. However, the older I got, it got more difficult because, and this is true for anybody. It's like when you're doing something difficult, it wears down on your energy. It wears down on your body. So the older I got, I was just tired all the time. And I was just like, is maybe it's because I'm on my period. Oh, maybe it's that slice of pizza or whatever. I would just go on and on and on about like what it could be, but I would like eliminate foods. I would, I would sleep 12 hours. I would try all these, you know, different things being so hard on my body and being so hard on myself. I'm just like, you've got to figure this out. You have to, you have to fix this, whatever this is. Life feels difficult for you, but you've got to fix it. So when I was 27, that was when I was like, you know, maybe I'm not, I don't think I've grown out of it. Like I thought I was going to grow out of it, but I'm grown now. I'm 27. Like I don't, I don't, I don't think I've grown out of all these issues. So that was when I went to my doctor and I asked him, I was like, I don't know if I'm autistic or not, but it was something I've talked about my family and I would just like to talk to someone. So do you have any recommendations? And without even looking up, he was just like, you have nothing, nothing to worry about. Like you're perfectly normal. <laughs> and unfortunately I took his word mm. and I spent the next few years just being even harder mm. on myself. And it took until last year when I, for whatever reason, the TikTok algorithm decided to show me some videos of women who had been diagnosed with autism as adults. And that was, that was when I was watching those videos. And I said to myself, these women are describing my whole life. And that was what led me to seeking help again. And thankfully, I was able to find a specialist who... And that started a whole several month process of being diagnosed. And I officially got diagnosed. And yeah, it's just been... So I'm just so grateful because it, it explains so many things about my life and even things I'm interested in that I never put together. <laughs> I never knew that there was something connecting all of those things. So yeah, ultimately I'm super grateful. It's almost like it's part of your superpower. You know, it's part of like the, of course it is, but it also just creates this beautiful experience where you are more sensitive and when you are more, you notice things more and you are, it's just beautiful, I guess, how it's laid the foundation for, I think, what beautiful work you do in the world. Um, and when you become diagnosed, sort of what's the process for that? You know, how, how have you shifted your life since integrating that diagnosis? Yeah. So 
yeah, with the diagnosis came a lot of a lot of hard conversations with myself. Uh, <laughs> I realized that, and this is something that I haven't even really shared that much yet because I haven't really figured out how to share it. But I I found out that I I need a lot more help and assistance than I thought I did. Um, just in terms of the severity of a lot of my symptoms and things, I had been really, really pushing myself. I mean, to go way harder than... I could at a healthy pace. So with that in mind, I mean, some like specific things like I, so my husband's my business partner. We have like my online, we have my online store and we do lots of different projects. And I realized that managing email by myself takes a lot of time and he's helping me now like manage my email. And a year ago, that would have been very hard to like have be like, hey, I need help with this. Because in my mind, I'm like, well, I'm a business owner. I do all these things. Like, I should be, you should be able to manage your email. Like, you've had an email since you're 14 years old. Like, why can't you figure it out? So that's what I've kind of my approach is like, figure it out, Morgan. You can do it. You can handle it. But yeah, there have been a lot of little things like that of like, okay, but you need help though. And there's nothing wrong with that. And um, like another thing, like I, I mentioned, you know, sensory issues with music and things like I, I will ask. So it's so hard. It's so hard. Like if, like if my, my husband's like working in the next room to like loud music in the past, I'm like, don't say anything. Like, just get used to it. And I'm like, could you please turn that down? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just can't function. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of little things like that. And I'm I'm no I'm gradually noticing them. I literally feel like I notice something new every day of like, oh my gosh, that really affects me. And mm-hmm. I had no idea. Um and it's really tough. It's really tough to have to name those things, especially when I've spent so many years telling myself like that these especially on the sensory level like that these things were something that I should be able to just fix on my own mm. and the the other side of it which has been really good and really beautiful is that because I deal with so many sensory issues is that it I see like colors within colors <laughs> so like yellow is not just yellow like it has like there's like red in there I can see all of that mm. even if it's not actually scientifically there I don't know but I can just see a lot of colors within colors and I'm that way with textures I notice every little thing I notice every little shade and that works when it comes to art and then also because I have to spend so much time paying attention to and studying tone and all of the different social cues and things, I am able to, when I'm writing poetry, I'm considering all of those things. I'm I'm considering everything that I've learned about how humans communicate, which words are are come across as more aggressive than others, which words are more inviting. Um, even something as simple as when I'm writing certain words, I'm like, oh, let's use a bolder font to further emphasize, you know, that mm. word, softer, softer, softer textures to emphasize this. So I, I'm thinking about all of that. And I, and I know that that has definitely been a good side of, um, good side of being autistic for me. Mm. It really has. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really powerful to, um, 
taken your work through that through that lens as well. And I'm actually, this is just a side question, but being a musician for all of those years and doing live performances and going on tour, was that ever like intense sensory overload? Like, what did that feel like? Yeah, I, I used to get off stage and feel like I could just start bawling my eyes mm-hmm. out. And I didn't know why. I was like, this makes no sense. Like, that was just a show. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Like, why do I feel like I could either start bawling or have like a straight up panic attack right here? Mm. And I would literally just like go run and hide on the tour bus and just like sit there in darkness to just try to like wow. recalibrate. Yeah. So yeah, I had no idea that it was wearing on me because with with and like with touring, you were you're wearing these. Uh, headphones called in-ear, in-ear monitors. And you literally have your ears, um, like you go in and have them custom made to fit your ears so that they can precisely get every sound in your ear, which is great. However, you later on find out that sounds can literally shut you down. So I'm literally wearing these in-ear monitors that can give me all the sound that I need. And as a sound engineer is adjusting, adjusting the drummer's uh, kick drum, like lifting it up in my ear, all that stuff was like gradually just, the lights were just going off up there. Like I was wow. just gradually shutting down and I didn't even know. So I'm so glad that I know because that was a huge mystery for sure. Yeah. It was the the podcast you did in the post. It was so powerful. It was, yeah, it was one of those where I was like just blown away at at your experience. And I mean, the God in TikTok. Thank you <laughs> for the support on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so switching to to more receiving right now with your husband supporting you and with your diagnosis, it does seem like you have to speak your truth more. You have to speak your needs more, and you have to receive a lot more support. How has that transition to being in a receiving mode and really sticking up for yourself so that you can live more comfortably and have more energy? Has that been hard for you? Oh my goodness. It has been very, very hard. And it's something that I have to honestly breathe deep through every day and have a therapist to help me as well. Mm -hmm. I mean that sincerely because it is... I spent so many years doing the opposite of that. Like, don't ask for help. Try to fix things by yourself as much as you can. So it is very, I feel like I'm very new to learning how to ask for help in many ways. And yeah, I feel like it's just giving myself grace to pace myself through it and just do one small thing at a day, one small thing a day. And it's like, like that's one thing I believe about just vulnerability and honesty, openness is that, yeah, sometimes it does happen in big leaps, but a lot of times it's gradual. It's something that we practice every day. So I'm learning how to see it as like, okay, if you like, sometimes I literally just want to eat the same thing for lunch every single day because I already know what I'm getting into texture-wise. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes just saying that of like, hey, I'm going to eat the same thing I ate yesterday, even though I feel like I shouldn't. Just saying that, I'm like, Morgan, that counts. Like, That mm-hmm. is speaking the truth. That is, that is openness. That is progress. And that matters. So 
that's what I've been holding on to. And, and I feel like some days, yeah, it might be bigger than others, but it's okay to... Like yesterday, I was... Another example of it was we were, we were painting a room in my house and I was just running in the hardware store just to like get some samples. And my husband was driving and I was like, oh, I can just go by myself. But for whatever reason, when we got there, I just suddenly got really overwhelmed. I'm just like, wait, I don't even remember where... Where is the paint section? I'm like, oh my gosh, I for- actually forgot how. And I started thinking about all this, all these other little things of actually getting that done, and and also wearing all, doing all this with a face mask is very challenging because I have to take so many deep breaths just to be able to function. So wow. I'm like, like holding my mask, like, oh, trying to breathe. So I was like, hey, can you come in with me? I'm like, I don't, I feel so bad for asking. This was supposed to just be like a. Uh, one thing, and now I feel like I'm inconveniencing him, but he was like, no, I can go in. It's fine. So yeah, every day it's like one little small thing that I'm noticing more and more and and recognizing that is okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On the just, you know, 2020 into 2021 and quarantine and just like a very severe change in lifestyle, has has that been, I don't want to say good for you, but I know a lot of people have found kind of peace and connection with self through quarantine, but I'm just curious of your experience, especially with your diagnosis. Yeah. I, I, it was, it was good. And at the same time, like I get kind of emotional thinking about it because it was such a moment of realizing how much I had been pushing myself mm-hmm. to just do way more than I could because it's like, hey, you're you're an artist, you're online, you got to be social, you got to do all these things, you have to go out, you have to travel, you have to do all these things, which I enjoy. However, it's like there are ways that it can be done in moderation, but I was not doing it in moderation. I was pushing myself. It's like you just released a book, you should do this, you should do that. I was saying yes to everything because that's what I'm supposed to do. So when everything got canceled and I suddenly for the first time, like felt like another thing, I was getting sick a lot, like just with colds all the time, headaches. It was always something. And now that I was at home, I was getting rest. I wasn't sick. I didn't have a headache. I was like, whoa, what just happened? So I do think that that was like the first big step of like, it's like, yeah, I think this is something more than just like being introverted. I think this is this is like, yeah, you're you are pushing yourself really hard. And like you said, I think a lot of people in different ways have realized that of how much we were pushing ourselves. And yeah, I'm grateful because now I feel like I have the courage and the confidence to kind of enter back into the world, whatever it ends up becoming (laughs) with more of like, yeah, I'm not going to be the same person that I was. I have a lot more knowledge now. I have a lot. I know myself way more than I did before. And yeah, I'm definitely going to hold on to that. Mm. Has therapy been a huge part of that process of knowing yourself more? How has that impacted you? Yeah, I am a avid therapy <laughs> attendee and have been for years. Um, I think a lot of it started for me when I was just, it was interesting kind of after that period when I had asked my doctor about the autism, being on the autism spectrum. And, you know, he told me, no, I did actually, I think I started therapy not too long after that because 
I was thinking, I'm like, well, maybe it's, you know, mental health and I just need to focus on my mental health, which is obviously very important too. And I'm very glad that I started that process. So yeah, I have been in therapy. I mean, not consistently every single week, but every, like every, like if you're breaking down the year into four quarters, yeah, every quarter (laughs) at some point I have been in therapy and I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I just think to have a space with someone who can be on the out, not only just be on the outside, uh, but also say like, here's why this might be happening. You know, it's been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question is about the book. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Yeah. What inspired you? I feel like, you know, seeing you online is just so beautiful and fulfilling for your audience. And obviously a book is, is such a natural extension of what you do, but just curious about that process and then what people can expect in the book. Yeah, so I have a book coming out very soon and it's called How Far You Have Come. And it was actually inspired by, um, it started with the cover of the book itself. The cover is an iPhone photo that I took in Albuquerque, New Mexico at sunrise. And it's one of my favorite photos that I've ever taken. And during um, quarantine, I was I was looking through my phone at different trips that I had taken. And I landed on that photo, which I looked at many times. I've like pulled color palettes from this photo. It's it's one of my favorite. It is my favorite photo that I've ever taken. And it's also a photo that I feel like anyone could have taken because the moment was just so beautiful. It was just, it was just, I just happened to capture it. And as I was looking at that photo, I thought to myself, isn't it interesting how I was struggling so much at the time this photo was taken. (laughs) And yet the photo itself is so beautiful and represents so much beauty and so much of what I love. And I was like, isn't that interesting? Like how these two things are happening at once. I'm taking in a beautiful moment, even if I don't realize it at the time that it's beauty. And I'm also growing in courage in that same moment, even though at the time I didn't realize I was growing in courage. So that inspired me to just look at actual literal other landscapes that I had been on in my life and what I was learning from the actual landscape and how I was growing in courage internally. So it's kind of like every chapter of the book is this sort of internal and external, like inner relationship of like looking at what we go through and how far we've come through the lens of like where we've actually been and like the miles that we've actually traveled. I think that, you know, over this past year, a lot of people have had plans just totally stopped or paused. And I just want, I want everybody to have moments like that where they can just look back and see, wow, but I've come so far. Like, look at where I've already been, everything I've already done. It's even if you've only ever traveled in a 20 mile radius of where you grew up, like you still have literally come so far. Like if you think about the literal amount of times you've left your house and come back home, every step that you've taken, all of that as a part of your journey. So yeah, it's just a book of... And as I started writing about my own stories, I just started thinking about all the other stories that people share with me. So it's a book of art and poetry that 
I really hope it's just a way of honoring how far we've all come. Mm. That's so beautiful. I'm really excited. I can't wait. And the app is so beautiful too. And Mm. um, my last question is just thinking about your life right now and, you know, having the diagnosis, the book coming out, so many beautiful things, your son. um, What's really beautiful about your life right now? Like what are the moments when you find yourself in awe? Mm, I love that question. I think right now it's um, being in our backyard. (laughs) I, I, I just love watching. We have a pretty good view of the sunset from our backyard. So I try to make it out there when the sun is setting because it's literally a different sunset every day. And I'm just amazed at how I can stand in the same spot every day and have a different experience. Mm. <laughs> that to me is just so beautiful and so easy to forget about when you know I'm at home way more than I've ever been. So I look forward to that every day. I look forward to the sun setting and watching that, seeing what colors arise. Sometimes I take a picture, sometimes I don't. And that is just such a moment of um of beauty for me. And another one is just I love just like sitting on the couch with my family and just like watching TV (laughs) and eating pizza. It's just like, you know, I I love the slowness of moments Mm -hmm. like that when we just feel unrushed and we're not rushing to get anywhere. We're just sitting there hanging out. I I love those moments so much. Mm. Truly the best. Feel that. Thank you so much for being here. We're really, really grateful Um, and so excited about the book. So everyone listening, make sure you go and grab how far you have come. And yeah, we're just excited to be connected and hopefully we can meet in person one day. Mm -hmm. Oh yes, likewise. Thank you all. Would love that. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your day and we'll be getting the book. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. All right, we'll see you soon, Morgan. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Morgan. The book is How Far You've Come. You can find her on Instagram. She's morganharpernichols.com. And thank you to our sponsors for this episode. As always, just bringing you brands that we love and trust and use ourselves. For this episode, we'd like to thank Sakara, She's Birdie, BetterHelp, and Drops. For all of the discount information, you can visit the show notes or go to almost30.com, scroll down and click on partners. Thank you all for listening. We appreciate you. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that our shows can hit your inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Bye.